So we are going to Isaiah chapter 43, and this is the word of the Lord. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes, and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this, and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses, that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Saviour. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles, and the Chaldeans, whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honour me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. 
Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honoured me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins, thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayst be justified. Thy first father hath sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary, and have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. We saw yesterday in our little sermon introduction how that there is a sense in which everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord as the maker and creator of all things. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And so everything belongs to the Lord. It is all his. That's true. In fact, we could press that point a little bit more and we could say this, that not only is the Lord Jesus Christ the creator of all things, so that nothing exists except he made it, so too nothing continues to exist except he maintains it. So our Lord Jesus Christ, as far as this world is concerned, as far as the fabric of creation is concerned and everything that dwells in this universe that he has created, everything created in earth or heaven is sustained by the Lord's up holding all things by the word of his power. We have no concept of the omnipotence of our God, the greatness, the, the majesty, the, 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 the glory and, and the scale of God's power. Men and women, foolish Foolish men and women imagine themselves capable of self-determination. They imagine being entitled to some personal autonomy, some free will, able to live as they please, answerable to no one. But the word of God tells us men and women cannot even take a breath except the Lord actively and deliberately grants them working lungs and the very air that they breathe. What we do most naturally is a function of God's mercy and of the Lord's upholding and sustaining power. 
There is nothing that the Lord does not know about us. The days of our lives, the hairs of our head are numbered. And the Lord will hold all men and women accountable for all we do and say and think in this life. We have just remarked about the fact that God will judge sin. How presumptuous little men are. Do you not know that it is a fearsome thing to fall into the hand of the living God? Do you not know that being God's enemy is a fearful thing? Everything belongs to the Lord as maker and creator and upholder of all things. And yet, and here really is the thrust of our message today, and yet, as we have seen, there is a distinct and separate ownership and possession that the Lord himself expresses in the Holy Scriptures concerning the people of his choice, the people whom he loves. The Lord himself says, ye are mine. You are mine. Speaking to these people, he says, thou art mine. And so here we have the premise of our thoughts today. While there is this separate ownership, the Lord has created a new creation. He has made a people for himself. He has set apart a people for himself. In the covenant of grace and peace, he has sanctified that people unto himself in a distinct and in a peculiar way. A people concerning whom the Lord says, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And let me say here, just as we begin our thoughts today, so that there isn't any misunderstanding. This chapter is speaking about God's elect. It is speaking about the church in gospel days. Yes, I acknowledge that they are called Jacob and Israel. But these are names that are applicable to the Church of Jesus Christ. The references to the Old Testament people are symbolical of the fact that God has chosen them and separated his elect from out of this world. This is not speaking about the Jewish nation or the land of Israel. It wasn't then in the time of Isaiah and it is not now. It is speaking of God's elect, his people chosen from amongst all nations of the earth by sovereign fiat and called the children of Abraham because they have the faith of Abraham or the same faith that Abraham had, that is faith in God, faith in Jehovah, faith in the Messiah, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is faith and the people of faith that distinguishes whose are the Lord's and whose are not. Who is within the covenant and who is outside of it. So Paul in Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. They which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Or as is elsewhere described, the children of promise. The children of promise, those who are called Jacob and Israel in this passage, are not the Jews of old or the Jews of today, but those who come within the, the ambit of the covenant promises of God. They are Jacob and Israel and they are received by faith. Nothing to do with genetics, nothing to do with natural descent, nothing to do with geography or national borders. The trouble that we are seeing today in Israel and Gaza has nothing to do with Christ and it is nothing to do with end time prophecy. It is all to do with man's sinful heart. Don't look to Israel for Christ's covenant people or for fulfilment of prophecy. Look to his church. We who believe are the true Israel of God and all who have faith in Jesus Christ are heirs of the promises of God. James, the writer of the little epistle, he says in chapter 2, verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? It is faith that distinguishes between those who are the chosen of the Lord and those who are not. And if any Israeli or any Jewish person has faith, then they are within the blessings of the covenant of grace. But this has nothing to do with national Israel. This is the Lord's people who are in view. Our verses relate to grace and faith, not nations or geography or lineage. And this is a warning because there are Many, many voices who will direct gullible people to think other things. Satan will happily rob the church of comfort and joy by stealing the gospel of our inheritance and applying it to somebody else. These are your promises and mine and we shall not give them to another. Here are five headings and a few thoughts upon each, which I trust today will gladden the heart of the Lord's people, the church. And we are going to think about them in the context of God's covenant people, because these are the ones of whom the Lord says, thou art mine. God's covenant people, the people that he has chosen 
for himself. And this is what we are taught. This is what we learn from this chapter concerning God's covenant people. Number one, they are, they are precious to the Lord. They are precious to the Lord. You and I, brother and sister, all of those who are men and women, boys and girls of faith, are precious to the Lord. Sometimes we say that the Lord is precious to us, and I trust he is, but we are precious to the Lord. What a thought that is. What, what, what an amazing thing, because you are precious. I have loved you. I have chosen you. I have redeemed you. I have created you. And I have called you. I doubt this is in the first four verses of this little chapter. I doubt we could amass a finer collection of divine undertakings than those collected here for our pleasure. Because we are precious in God's sight, he has honoured us and made us honourable. He has adopted us into his family. He has made us his sons and daughters. He doesn't call us servants. He calls us his sons and his daughters. We're going on to that a little bit later, but he's going to call his sons and his daughters from the uttermost parts of the earth. Not his servants, his people, his children. He has loved us unconditionally. He has honoured us by loving us. He has honoured us by choosing us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He has loved us by redeeming us from all of our sin by the precious blood of our Saviour. How much does the Lord love us? How much does the Lord own us? How much does the Lord delight in us? How precious are we to Almighty God? We are as precious as the precious blood of his own dear Son. He has created us anew. He has created in us a new spirit, a new heart. He has given us a new hope. He has filled us with new passions. He has given us new friends. And he has placed a new song on our lips. And he calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him because we are precious to him. Because thou art mine. This is a powerful call. This is not a general call. This is not, not the, 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 the world's uh, uh, weak, uh, inconsequential call that it makes to man's supposed free will. This is not a vague hope that we might possibly follow after the Lord. This is the Lord who regards us as precious the Lord who regards us as precious, who has loved us and chosen us and redeemed us and created us, who now calls us by his gospel, calling his people with a call that is powerful to quicken the dead in trespasses and sin and cause us to rise up 
like an army of dead bones and to cover us with flesh and sinew and blood and quicken our lives and cause us to follow him. This is the Lord who says, come away. Many imagine the blessings of grace come to them when they choose to trust in Christ. As if that act of believing, that act of our will is the beginning of all the blessings that flow to us in Christ. That is so wrong to think like that. That's the wrong way round entirely. All the blessings of grace belong to the elect before they are called in time to experience them. God's love is everlasting love. The electing choice of God is a choice that was made before the foundation of the world. The redeeming mercy of God is applied as a result of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But he is as the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. That always was seen in the mind of God as being that limited atoning work that the Lord Jesus Christ would perform. He makes us a new creation even before that effectual call of the Holy Spirit in the gospel first brings to light the spark of grace in the soul of a sinner. All these blessings are freely ours who have faith in Christ because we are precious in the sight of God. So precious that we are loved, chosen, redeemed, created anew and called by him. To experience the Lord Jesus Christ in time. That's the first thing. We are precious to the Lord. Here's another thing that we can say from this delightful chapter. The Lord Jesus Christ or God tells us that his covenant people will be gathered in by the gospel's success. They will be gathered in by the success of the gospel. The Lord tells Isaiah to tell the people of his age to write down these things in a book, to declare to the remnant people, the faithful amongst the Jews, how their numbers would be added to in the times of the Messiah and in the gospel age by the ministry of the apostles and preachers whose message would be broadcast to the Gentile nations so as to call my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You see, even in the days of Isaiah, that remnant people, that oppressed people, that pressed down people were given these words of comfort. That there would be a day coming in the times of the Messiah when the gospel of grace would go forth and sons and daughters would be called from all nations, from the ends of the earth, to find in God their Lord 
and Saviour. I am sure that we measure success all wrong. I think I've said this before and doubtless I'll repeat myself again. But gospel success is not about numbers or membership or church budgets. The gospel will bring to glory exactly, exactly, not one more and not one less, exactly the predetermined and predestinated number of the elect. The gospel is an absolute 100% success. The Lord knows them that are his and he gathers them by name through the preaching of the gospel. Remember when the Lord was going back to heaven, he, he said to uh, his, his disciples, or, or his, he was anticipating uh, his, his crucifixion and then his return to heaven, and the fact that he would be leaving his disciples, he said to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare your mansion in heaven. Let me tell you, think about those mansions. There will not be a mansion left unoccupied in heaven. Nor will there be any squeeze due to more coming to faith and to Christ than might have been expected. The mansions that are being prepared in heaven right now are perfectly matched to those who will enter in. Paul knew his gospel was God's power unto salvation. The gospel preached and applied will bring many sons unto glory. It's a direct quote from the word of God. I count it a privilege to be able to broadcast this gospel, to preach this gospel. Nowadays, with this technology, to the ends of the earth. Because while these are my faltering words, I nevertheless believe that this is God's command. This is God's means to the north. Give up. To the south, keep not back. To the east and to the west, that the seed of faith shall be gathered and the body of Christ shall be complete. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. This gospel is not intended to convert the masses. It is designed perfectly to inform and convince God's elect concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10 in our chapter. He says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, for why? That ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Knowledge, faith 
and understanding. These are the three things that the Lord gives to his elect by the gospel. Before me, he says, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am am the Lord, and beside me there is no Saviour. This is the message that the gospel 100% successfully imparts to the Lord's elect. Oh, I have no doubt it is a double-edged sword. It renders rebellious-hearted men and women without excuse, but it is designed to accomplish and achieve the ends whereunto it is sent. It is the word of God. And to that end, God's covenant people, thirdly, will behold a new thing. This is the third thing that, that Isaiah tells the people that the Lord tells us in this chapter. What is this new thing that Isaiah is speaking about, that that the Lord declares? Why? It is God incarnate. Isaiah is still teaching that the Messiah would not be a mere prophet or another earthly king or some religious leader. Christ who would come is Emmanuel, God with us, God in flesh. This is what Isaiah is telling the people. This is the new thing that will be performed. A woman will compass a man. Uh, this, This is the work of Christ's coming in the Incarnation. God in the flesh, having taken the nature of man, the flesh of a virgin, appearing in the likeness of sinful flesh, being made sin and a curse for his people, that they in turn may obtain eternal redemption. The Old Testament people looked forward to God coming in the flesh to die as their Redeemer. We look back on that self-same fact and this single event, this life and death of Jesus Christ is the most significant and meaningful event in the history of the world. John in his Gospel says, chapter 1 verse 14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God incarnate is this new thing. And we see and we know and we understand what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. All the elect do. All of the elect have faith in what God has has done. Fourthly, here we find also that God's covenant people are taught in this passage by Isaiah that they will bring glory to their Saviour. Again, we so often see this from a man-centred position. Just as we we regard God as precious to, to, to us, Um, He regards us as precious to him. And just as God 
glorifies us in giving us so many blessings, so we bring glory to the Saviour. It's a precious thought. The Lord gives the reason why this new thing will take place. Christ is come to gather the Lord's elect, listen, listen, for his own glory. Christ has come to gather the Lord's elect for his own glory. Children used to be taught, maybe sometimes they still are, but they used to be more widespread that children would learn their catechism, their, their questions and answers. It was a good practice. The first answer in the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first answer is man's chief end is to glorify God. And we might think to ourselves, how can we glorify God? But this is what the work of redemption accomplished. We have glorified God. This is what the Lord says here. It says, a people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. We, by our redemption, we, by our being set apart, our sanctification, our justification, by all of these things which God has done for us, we redound to his praise and glory. Verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by God is created for my glory. For mine own sake. Verse 21 says, This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. We who are saved are saved to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, for our comfort and for our encouragement, just as it was for the believers in Isaiah's day and for all believers, for us today who might be tempted, who might have doubts, who might be caused because of the circumstances and affairs and troubles and trials in our life, and Lord knows there are many. We have this glorious promise. Our salvation, this salvation that we have, our safety and security in Christ is as sure as God's own glorious nature. The day that God's glory fades and falters will be the day that our salvation fails. Not until then. Because we are called, redeemed and brought into peace with God for his glory. The last thing that I want to mention to uh, us today is that Isaiah brings another thought for our encouragement here in the fact that God's covenant people are pardoned and justified. We are cleansed and made holy by the sovereign mercy of Almighty God. Look at verse 25. It says there, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions 
for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Why have we got this atonement? Why have we got this peace from God? Why have we been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ from all our transgressions? Not for one moment because we have in any way merited it. On the contrary, we weary the Lord with our unworthiness. We have nothing to recommend ourselves to him. We have nothing to offer to him. But for his own sake, for his own good pleasure, he has blotted out our transgressions and will not remember our sins against us. We might think that God blots out our transgressions for our sake. And sure it is we benefit from that. But the Lord says he blotteth, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. When we think about this, it is obvious, surely. Because no soiled, filthy, corrupt soul could show God's glory and praise out of that natural depraved state. As the Lord said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. It's the only way that you can bring forth the glory of God and be a praise to his name. The Lord has done this for his own sake that we might glorify his name. We must be pardoned. We must be cleansed. We must be justified to glorify God. It is the consequence of his love towards us and his choice of us. We serve his purpose. We honour his name. This is what Isaiah is telling the Old Testament church. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. They knew, as we do, that we need our sins removed and we need a perfect righteousness applied. Righteous in the sight and presence of God is essential. We all have wearied the Lord with our iniquities, then and now. And yet the Lord encouraged the Old Testament church to plead the merits of the Messiah. And he calls you and me to do the same. All who need forgiveness plead the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God in him. This we do. This we do. And we will continue to do as the Lord grants us grace. Amen. Amen.